Hey listeners, Renee here. Just a reminder that any of the information that you gather from this podcast is general advice. This means that although our advice is rooted in evidence-based theory and our experiences working within the industry, it is still just general advice. With that being said, if you are concerned about your dog's behavior, listening to the podcast is a great place to start. However, we would urge you to work with a qualified dog professional. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Dog Logical, a podcast by R Plus Dogs. I'm Renee Rhodes, a dog behavior consultant, the owner of R Plus Dogs, and a self-professed dog nerd. Along with my friend and colleague, Cassie Dixon, we host this podcast aimed at dog guardians to give you tips, tricks, and bust pesky myths about your dog and their behavior. So if you want to learn how to be more dog logical, you're in the right place. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Hey guys, and welcome back to the podcast. Renee here with Cassie. Hello. How has your week been, Cassie? Oh, um, good question. This week has been a very long week. We've had a heck of a lot of snow here in Canada. Um, I get to work from home today because of that. It's like a childhood dream recognized snow day, little <laughs> snow, having to deal with anything. I don't want to go outside. I don't want to walk anywhere. I would much rather be right here. I, I Well, I guess you can't see me. I'm. Uh, we're recording our, our video separately, but I'm wrapped up in a blanket. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Got to stay warm, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And warm and chill. It's, yeah. it's been one of those weeks. What are you? No, this week has been pretty good. Pretty hectic. Lots of things going on. Kind of, um, I feel like a duck at the moment. We're like calm on the surface, but like furiously paddling underneath, trying to get a whole bunch of things into place, but good things, good things for the business. So, um, which we can, we can catch up on, um, at the end, Cassie, I'll get you, I'll get you all updated on what's going on. Um, but other than that, yeah, nothing to really complain about, um, but I think your situation where you are is a perfect segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is, do we have to walk our dogs? And what does good kind of physical stimulation look like in dogs? And, and how much physical stimulation do we actually need to do with our dogs? So perfect opportunity to talk about that in and what is going on with you. So what do you think kind of starting off with the old adage, a tired dog is a happy dog? Um, when I hear a tired and it, it's followed by anything, I just think it's tired. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Like I don't like when I am tired, I can tell you, I sure as heck am not happy when I am tired. I'm frustrated. I get annoyed easily. I'm irritable. Like tired for me does not mean happy. I can't imagine that tired is happy for any other, like, you know what I mean? I think I, I often think about like children who are really tired, but just can't self-regulate because they have a little bit of FOMO. Like they're, they're that, that fear of missing out. They don't want to walk away. They want to be a part of what's going on, even though they're to the point of tears, they're so tired. They don't self-regulate. They don't 
help themselves out in those situations. So anytime somebody brings up that old adage, I 100% just like look at them almost like, what are you like when you're tired? You know, (laughs) like, okay, sure. If that's, if that's what you think, I'm like, yeah, I don't, I don't really know how else to kind of think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think in, in reference to our dogs, we're often told that dogs need to be you know, or it's not, um, if they're not to that state of being exhausted, then they're not happy dogs, which I think we've, you know, we've learned or through, you know, kind of maybe trial and error. Sometimes people don't connect the dots of what an actually tired, happy dog will look like, or more of like a fulfilled dog. I tend, I tend to use that more than a tired dog is a happy dog. I will say like a, you know, a tired dog, a happy dog is a fulfilled dog. And of course we know what we mean when we say fulfilled, but I think people don't always connect the dots between why maybe they're having some issues with their dog. And when I'm talking about issues, I'm usually talking about like inability to settle, hypoarousal, um, you know, wants to greet all dogs and people, um, doesn't really seem to want to relax or doesn't know how to relax. You know, let's use the the word crazy um, as well. So they don't always connect the dots between that type of behavior and what they're doing with their dogs. How are you meeting your dog's needs? Because, I mean, quintessentially, we, I think we really miss the mark when we're talking about meeting a dog's needs. Would you agree? Or what were your thoughts on that? Oh my goodness, 100%. I think that as behavior professionals, you and I, when we talk about meeting a dog's needs, we're often talking about that, you know, that, that hierarchy of, needs, right? Like have their biological needs been met? Have their emotional needs been met? Have their, you know, social needs been met? Have like all of those things been met in and of themselves? Like, whereas when the average person talks about those needs, they're more talking about like what they need from their dog, not necessarily what their dog needs in its entirety. So I, 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 yeah, no, I think that you kind of hit it perfectly on the mark. When I think of dog's needs and I say to a client or, you know, even just a family friend or whatever, like, for example, I had a friend reach out to me yesterday, just sent me a video of their, um, oh my goodness, the breed just totally slipped away for me for a second, <laughs> but, um, they have a little guy it'll come to me. I'll just yell it out later. But he (laughs) had a hold of the like partner's shirt and was just playing tug. Like it was the best thing he'd ever done in his entire life. And he was like, Oh yeah, yeah. He also does this. And I was like, he's an eight month old puppy playing tug, but with your shirt, it's just an inappropriate item. Like what kind of things have you done to meet his needs? Like, how are you say feeding him to tucker him out? Or whatever the case may be, like, are you doing scatter feeding or are you doing, you know, something else that meets those needs to kind of help with that? And they were like, what do you mean? Like, we use like a snuffle mat. And I was like, okay, let's try shredding for him. Shredding might be something that's really exciting. Give that a shot. You know what I mean? Like, what 
needs can be met above and beyond just is my dog tired? Cause yeah. like tired doesn't necessarily mean that your needs are met or your dog's needs are met. It literally just means that they're tired. Like oftentimes when I think about myself being tired, my needs have usually not been met that day because I'm tired or that tired has been from avoiding those needs to get other things done or whatever the case may be. So I think that, I think, yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that was just going to be a ramble that I was going to go on, but no, but yeah, I no. think you're, you're right. I mean, even I would say what I like to, to tell clients is, you know, if your dog is telling you what they need, like that puppy playing tug, yes. Are they overstimulated? Yes. This may be he a little too tired. You know, they haven't been mentally fulfilling him, but if your dog is like, you know, playing tug with your sleeve, play tug with your dog in a more appropriate context. Like your dog is literally telling you what they would like, show them that that is something that they can do, but just teach them, you know, the rules about how we, how we might engage in that. Same thing with ripping stuff up. Like it's super, super natural for dogs, but if we're not giving the dogs an outlet for that, how do we expect them to, you know, just stop that behavior? Cause that's just not, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's also like that, again, that was a, that a big part of the conversation. Um, and to be fair, these are friends, not clients. And yeah. they were, they have a dog trainer. Um, their first kind of session is this coming week. And they've just been asking me offside questions to kind of see how I would respond to them. Um, and so that they can kind of make sure that that dog trainer is up to snuff because they didn't have a whole lot of um, information on their webpage or anything like that. So like, it, that's one of those things I always, I always say to you, especially with games like tug and things like that, like, yeah, sometimes that can be from overstimulation and over arousal. And sometimes, sometimes your dog does those behaviors because they're tired. Right. So mm -hmm. I kind of said like, the Especially with a puppy. Oh, goodness. Exactly. Like an adolescent puppy. Yes. Ooh, if we're yeah. not looking at sleep, what are we doing, people? <laughs> exactly. And I said that that trainer is going to be able to better chat with you, like more in depth when you have your consultation about like when these things are happening, like what are the antecedents, what is happening before this tug behavior starts? Like, is this a regular thing at a certain time of day? Is this a regular, you know what I mean? those questions will be asked and you should be able to dive in a little bit deeper to get a better way to deal with the concern. Because if it is coming from just your dog is telling you it needs to tug because tug's its new favorite thing, great. You're going to play tug with your dog. But if your dog is trying to communicate something else with you, like frustration or fear or being tired and not knowing how to self-regulate, that's going to look a little bit different, right? So that's that's one of those things that does definitely come up for me. So I think that Everything you're saying makes total sense. When meeting a dog's needs, we're looking at so many more things other than just physical exercise. And I make a point to say physical exercise because mental exercise is something we consider as well, right? And other types in general. So I think when when I think about that, like I've, I've had clients in the past who have done things like, oh, you know, my dog absolutely loves to play ball. So I lose use a 
tennis ball or their favorite, you know, ball as a reward. And I was like, great, that's awesome. We can definitely work that into the thing, like into our training program, but just going outside to play tug with your, or sorry, tug ball with your dog for hours it might start to physically tucker them out, but there's also so many other concerns physically for just chasing a ball. Like I'm not even going to start on that one, but (laughs) it's not, it's not going to give you the effect that you're looking for. Like I will often tell people playing ball with your dog, like you can do the same amount of stimulation and mental stimulation with 20 minutes of puzzle feeding, scatter feeding, cue response exercises, like tapping into natural behaviors, like allowing them to shred or whatever, then you might be able to do with, for example, an hour to hour and a half of playing fetch. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So I think the traditional thoughts and feelings surrounding exercise and what that looks like and walking your dog and playing ball and all of those things, I think they need to change. Personally, I think they need to change a ton. I don't think people realize how much sleep their dogs need. I don't think people realize how much exercise is actually needed. And I don't think people realize that there are like a lot of, I guess, breed traits or breed groups that you know, a lot of people will go, Oh, that I have a little dog. My little dog doesn't need that much of that. I have a cockapoo. Why would I need to do that much exercise with my dog? And I'm like, truth be told, that guy probably needs more exercise than your average dog or whatever. Like little guys are full of beans. Like, so it's, it's a big difference. And I definitely think that that ideal as a whole needs to change in the, like the dog guardianship community. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think harking back to, you know, you being kind of snowed in and not wanting to do much and, you know, just wanting to be warm and cozy. I think that can offer a lot of conflict for dog guardians because they're like, nope, I got to get out or um, the term like fair weather walker. And I think it's just, why are you putting yourself through that? I mean, my dogs don't even really like going out when it's raining there's nothing wrong with that. You know, they don't have to go out when it's raining. They don't have to endure snow. They don't have to endure, you know, a tornado. Like there's certain times when you just don't go outside and that's a-okay. So I think, you know, what are the things that spring to mind for you when you hear someone say, you know, I have to, I have to walk my dog X amount of times. The first thing that comes to my mind anytime somebody says I have to do something Mm. is you've got it wrong. You know what I mean? Like not, not wrong. Like, oh, you're not really wrong, but you know what I mean? Like the first thing my brain thinks when someone says it's a need versus a want, it's a, I have to, not I want to, and I'm going to enjoy this is we need to reframe that. We need to find out why you feel like you have to dig into that a little bit deeper and give you the reality of the situation, especially when it comes to exercise. So for example, like, um, my guy, I maybe walked Norco once a week, once every two weeks, if that, um, especially into his older years, uh, we did a lot of hiking and, you know, that sort of stuff, lots of backwoods camping, lots of whatever, but, weekly or daily, that was not a want. And 
he was not the dog that you pulled out his leash and he got ecstatic. He was the dog that was like, nah, let's just go into the backyard. I can, I can sniff around. I can play with the chickens. I can do my thing. Right. Like that for me says a whole lot. Like, yes, of course my dog would get excited when we wanted to go for a walk and things like that. But oftentimes it was not a need. It was more of a, think it'll be fun to go do this today do you think it'll be fun to go do this today and then we would go and we would gauge how each other were feeling throughout our walk not just like we're gonna go on a 30 minute walk every single day or I need to teach you to do certain things while we're out or whatever whatever like it was very much what works for us what doesn't work for us that sort of thing like when he was younger we lived on a tree farm so I often like we had so much property surrounding us we were so far away from roads he often was not on leash on the property um and I would literally just open the back door and let him out and he would go and he you know go eliminate do his thing whatever come back and get me and if he wanted to go for a little trek around the property he'd let me know he'd you know he'd come back he'd stare at me he'd look at me he'd stop his little feet or he'd bark at me and we'd off we'd go if he didn't want to go or wasn't interested that was a different story he would just come right back and want to go right back in the house so I always kind of let my dog lead the way in those things and I personally do not feel it's necessary to have a a a have to when it comes to walking your dog, because there are so many other ways to meet their needs in general. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very similar over here. I would say we only really do neighborhood walks to do sniffs and that's it. So there's no real objective as far as the, um, distance that we're going it really is like do you want to sniff that okay obviously safety involved but they're on that like 15 foot leash you know in the neighborhood yes it's a little quiet we don't have you know that many cars going through the neighborhood but there are still cars there are still cats there are still things that could potentially cause them to become aroused or potential dangers but Generally, it's just for sniffs. You just want to go there. Okay, cool. We'll we'll sniff that. Versus, I know people kind of like look at me in shock when I say I don't walk my dogs. I think being more strategic about what we're doing, the activities that we're doing with our dogs is super important. If that is a walk around your neighborhood and your dog is enjoying it and they're being able to sniff their being able to allow to be a dog within safety confines, then cool. Then, then a walk is, is, should be part of that. But if not, if it's problematic, if your dog's needs aren't being met, then what's the point of going for the walk? And essentially, like you said, there's so many things that you can do at home. I think sometimes what bothers me is when rescues say, oh, you have to have a yard or you have to have a certain type of yard. So like, you know, if you have a paved yard, that's not good enough. If you don't have a six foot fence. Yes, I appreciate that sometimes dogs can escape, but I think putting all the emphasis on, you know, how much land you have isn't necessary. Nero, when he was very young, we lived in an area that I had a small garden. It was all paved. 
Um, and I used to take him out for, for walks. He was absolutely fine on the walks, but most of the time he was sniffing. He was trotting around, you know, he wasn't kind of racing around all over the place. And my goal was to encourage him to be able to use his nose. And so looking at these strict, rigid, you know, my dog needs to go on this many walks a day. Is your dog sniffing on those walks? Is your dog able to be a dog? You know, granted, pulling isn't the nicest thing um, for, for either end of the leash. But if you get something like a bungee attachment, or if you just spend some time teaching your dog when you reach the end of the leash, I just want you to kind of, you know, come back. All that doesn't have to be this structured heel, which is really hard for dogs to do because walking in a straight line, walking next to us is really, really difficult. And that's why people have the biggest issues with things like recall and loose lead, because those are hugely, hugely difficult for dogs to be able to do. And so if you just take the pressure off you and your dog to allow them the ability to move their bodies a bit, a lot of that pressure to like, oh, you must be at a heel or, you know, you must not pull. A lot of that pressure kind of dissipates a bit. So even the walk in itself being problematic of having these kind of control features, if you just loosen those up a little bit, you might find that the, the walk is much more enjoyable just from that change. Um, you mentioned things that you can do at home. So what are things that you would do instead of going for those walks? Quite a few things. Depends on the day. <laughs> Truth be told, depends on a lot of different things. Like for example, um, Norco, he absolutely loved shred like especially toys especially fluffies absolutely loved it so we would do things like shredding in the house or just practice cue response stuff or you know work on climbing up and down things like we got him a ramp as he was a little bit older so allowing him to use that like literally just hanging out and doing his things inside the house um even just playing like fetch with things in the hallway, um, you know, little bit of everything, um, to meet those like physical needs and even outside of the house as well, like on in, you know, in the yard or whatever we would play, like we would wrestle, we would, you know, do other things like allow him to play with his dog buddies that were here. So often, well, you know, I fostered a lot and Norco was always super game for that. I think there was one foster in all of his 10 years that um, he didn't actually get along with and wanted nothing to do with. And we just kept them separate, but allowing him to play, um, doing things like that, meeting those social needs. So having the opportunity to play and bond with his people was a really big thing. Um, you, you know, there's a, like a little bit of everything, right? Um, those are just some of the ones yeah. that kind of come to the top of my head. But like, what what about you? Because you have obviously um, both of your guys are, I, I don't, I want to say high energy guys. So what are some <laughs> of the things that you get up to with them outside of blocks? Well, you know, for us, um, we really focus on trying to 
start the day off by meeting the, the boy's needs. So this morning, for instance, I was like, okay, let me just figure out what are we going to do for, for today? Okay. Let me, um, we tried a new food this morning. So let me say that. So that in itself can be enriching. You know, we're trying something different, a new kibble since we're switching over from origin. So I tried that with them, giving them a little bit of a, like a little just, you know, sensory experience here. Try, try this different kibble. We also did some scatter games, um, just me kind of like scattering food on the floor, scatter games. And then we also, um, Nero got to play with a toy that he hasn't had for a while, which is the Kong shell, which he has to kind of bat at. And it's, I would say that's like a, like a medium challenge for him. Um, so he enjoyed that. Lichen and I did a little bit of trick training this morning. Um, and then primarily that's, that's about it as far as what they did this morning. They also get some things to chew. So they have, um, they're raw fed and they get uh, different like pieces of meat, like on the bone. So this morning, Nero had uh, some chicken feet and a duck neck and Lycan also had some chicken feet. So chewing as well. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of, I always want to start the day trying to meet their needs so that they're happy, but also it makes it easier for me that I can get on and do the stuff that I need to do. So like people that work at home, when they are struggling with their dogs, what I think usually happens is they get up, maybe they feed their dog, maybe they take their dog for a walk, they bring them back, and then they just leave the dog to sleep. So in the middle of my consults, I will have time set aside where if the dogs need something, I can preemptively supply them with, with activities. Sometimes it's just social time. That. So that's yeah. Also, yeah. I mean, that's also something we do every morning. I just completely forgot social time. So Nero, I'll give him massages. Lycan, I'll spend a little time. Like I always say good morning to Lycan and give him cuddles. Um, so other things like that are going to be stuff that we would we would do on a regular basis just to make sure that everybody's happy, you know, just like any other member of the family, you know, how was your day? How did you sleep? What was going on? You know, we ask these questions of people to connect with them and I yep. connect with my dogs by making sure that they have some mental stimulation, some physical stimulation, some social time, and then they get some rest. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that so much. Do you have a dog that has big feelings about the world around them? Maybe your dog barks at strangers. Maybe they pull your arm off to get to other dogs. If so, we have the perfect course for you, Resolving Reactivity. During our eight-week expert-led course, you will learn all of the components to help your dog go from barky and lungy to calm and confident. Resolving Reactivity gives both you and your dog a chance at enjoying life better together. Help your dog go from fearful to fearless by visiting our website, rplusdogs.com and looking for Resolving Reactivity. One of the things that we, I guess, inadvertently have kind of talked about, but not really. And I'd love to hear 
what you have to say, because I think that this is one of those ones that you work with pretty regularly. Let's talk about our buddies who maybe the thought and feeling is that walks are going to meet your dog's social needs for dogs that are fearful or reactive. How do we kind of reframe that conversation for um, our like pet guardians that are working with a, a buddy like that, who you've been told time and time again, like if you walk your dog, they'll get used to those things or whatever the case may be like outside of just exercise. How do you feel about that? Well, I would say this is a conversation that I have quite often with clients anyway. So there, it's usually a mixture of things like, okay, so I don't have to walk my dog. Yes, right. This is going to be a really, a really great thing that you're saying. But then usually the next question is, so what do I do with my dog? And I'm like, well, that's where things are going to get interesting. So we're not going to not do anything. We obviously have to replace, you know, that time that um, it is physical. But then, you know, I often ask the question if people feel, because they do, like they need to take their dogs out, I will say, what does the walk bring? Does it bring you closer to your goal or is it bringing you further away from your goal? So if you have a reactive dog and every time that you go out, you can't seem to get away from triggers, you know, there's going to be a reaction on the walk. Why are you going on the walk? If you can have your dog in the house and maybe, you know, the yard or whatever, or take them to a space where you know that there's not going to be any issues with other dogs or triggers, whatever those triggers may be, may not be other dogs. If you can guarantee that, then great, do that. But if you can't, and history tells us that going on this walk is going to cause reactions, why are you doing it? And so I think framing it that way for dog guardians, they go, yeah, why am I doing it? You know, it seems a bit silly when you when you lay it out like that. So I think it offers a lot of reprieve for them. I have, you know, clients that say, I'm going to have to tell, you know, my husband or my wife or, you know, the kids or whatever. And I'm like, just blame it on me. Just say, I spoke to Renee and Renee said that we're not going to walk the dog as much or we're not going to walk the dog at all. But I also have to caveat that by saying, we will start to take the dog out. So don't, you know, rest on the fact that we're just uh, avoiding triggers. We will, but there are lots of things that we need to do it to make sure that when we do start to go out, that we're set up for success, that you feel confident, your dog is cooperating with you. You know, there's, there's all these kind of foundations that need to happen before we start introducing triggers again. But there is a lot of pressure that's taken off by that. And I supply clients with a massive list of enrichment activities that they can do instead. And so having that at their disposal means that they can start to pick apart what things might be beneficial, what things are feasible, um, and start implementing those in some kind of structure for, for themselves, because we are the key to everything for our dogs. So I keep saying to clients, like, if you're not giving it to your dog, how's your dog expected to, to have access to it? So 
yes, there are ways that we can go around that, like with the tube in and I do feeding stations and, you know, reward stations. So there are ways for our dogs to access things in the day, but you are still the key to your dog accessing things. So it's important that the human element starts to be able to get into a routine of offering different types of enrichment. Um, And people usually get really excited about that because A, it takes less time generally. B, it's really enriching to watch our dogs enjoying things. And C, usually within the first week, they're like, he's so calm. And I'm like, because he's not having his nervous system shocked every time that he goes out. Because it might not even be that you see a trigger on the walk. It might be the action of going for a walk. Where just like you, you know, you might go to the dentist, you hate the dentist. The dentist hasn't done anything yet, but you're already stressed. And that can definitely happen for our dogs, especially if we go to the same places all the time. So for dogs who are reactive, who struggle with the outside, there's absolutely no reason to take those walks. They're probably more harmful than they are beneficial. Absolutely. I think too, the flip side, and I'm... I've gotten like feedback recently about like, well, what happens when you're not in the perfect situation? What happens when you're in a small apartment and you have a dog like that? Like, how do you meet that dog's needs in that instance where outside is cityscape and maybe that dog is fearful and doesn't do well with the city, but inside we still have those exterior noises and those types of things. They still waft their way up. They still have a background there. They're they're still existent. How do we give appropriate exercise and make sure that our dog's needs are being met in those situations? And honestly, I say, realistically, all of the things we've just said still fit. They still apply. Mm -hmm. There are definitely other things you can do for your buddy. If you do have those types of, you know, concerns, especially if you're living in the city or whatever. Um, but don't think that what we're talking about is strictly for people who live, you know, in the countryside or this or that, or, you know, whatever. That's not what we mean. This is applicable for all buddies in all spaces. And if you have, a buddy who's having a difficult time inside your home and you feel that they do much better when they have had exercise, like talk to your training professional, come to us, chat with us, you know, do those things. And we're very likely to be able to look at the current setup and situations and find out why those things are happening. And it's not necessarily exercise. It's not because you need a tired dog. It's for other extenuating circumstances, right? There's other things that are very likely to be happening that maybe you just aren't used to reviewing those types of things. So you don't know, maybe you work in finance, not in behavior, right? Like, (laughs) I love that, right? Because like people are like, you're so smart, right? So then what I usually say to them is, this is what I do for a living. Like, yeah, I don't know what you do for a living, but I'm sure you're pretty good at your job. You know, like, I'm good at my job. Like that's not, you know, you're, that's why you come to us is because we are experts within our fields. Like, you know, we're very quick to be able to advise and be able to come up with these sorts of plans most of the time, because this is what we do. (laughs) Yep, exactly. And for me, I also say too, like, 
I literally specialize in dogs that are stuck in small spaces. Like I work with dogs in shelter settings. That's my job. Like I obviously work with client dogs and stuff as well. I have for a very long time and will continue to do so. But like my job is to figure out how to reduce frustration, anxiety, and stress for dogs in settings where, you know, there's so many animals to take care of and the teams are doing their absolute best, but they can't necessarily take each dog on five walks a day. You know what I mean? They can't necessarily offer certain, like we just implemented nap times for a dog um, because there's a lot of over arousal behavior happening and jumpy mouthy behavior happening and exercise is not working. It's not what that dog needs. The exercise is actually a detriment. The exercise is actually making things worse. So we're doing nap times, middle of the day, we're turning off the lights, we're turning up the music throwing on some reggae and letting that dog chill. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) and so we, we always have those kind of things. And I think realistically, just to, I guess, recap, I would also say too, that I have seen, and obviously anecdotally speaking, but I've seen it a lot, especially with clients who get dogs because they have an active lifestyle or because they want a dog that's going to join them on a lot of adventures and things like that. And what I often see happening is for the first, you know, several years or even just months of that dog's life, there's this need to have the dog constantly doing something. The dog's constantly training or the dog's constantly going on walks or the dog's constantly having play dates with buddies or the dog's constantly doing other things. Like there's no stop and smell the roses for that dog. It's all go, go, go. It's all the dog needs to be doing something, you know, whatever. And then that becomes not sustainable. You know what I mean? Because as people, we have lives. I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate that training needs to fit into your lifestyle, into your day to day. And if it doesn't, it's not likely to work. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's, it's not going to be helpful for you. But one of the things I often see is those people who are so gung ho and they're so like, let's go, go, go from the beginning. They often end up with a dog, maybe just out of adolescence or entering adolescence that doesn't know how to stop. That dog has learned its entire life to be go, 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 go. So when, you know, for example, especially with the pandemic, people start going back to work or, you know, for that week, the dog's life slows down because you're on vacation, you're home constantly. And usually when you're home, you being home means we're going for a walk or we're doing training or we're doing this or we're doing that. So when you're at home for that week of work or whatever, your dog is like, no, what are we doing? We're not laying down. We're supposed to do stuff. You're home. When you're Mm. home, we do stuff, you know? And then you have that opposite effect where the dog has been so trained and brought up in this area where they're constantly moving. They're constantly going. They don't know how to stop. Well, now you have to turn around and teach your dog how to be a dog and sniff the roses. That's exactly what we cover in Calm the Fluff Down. Like pretty much is teaching people how to give that reset because we talked about this we touched on it I think in the last episode but that that training element of you know how we might or actually I think it was the, the episode before last not the last one but um 
how we would do things so differently. And I, you know, when I explain that to clients about if I got a new dog or a new puppy, like how training would not be the first thing on my list. And even with clients, training for me is the last behavior modification or training is the last element. I want to make sure everything else in place. And then we look at training or behavior modification. It's not my first go-to. And I think there is a lot of emphasis on train, 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 train. You know, I saw a post the other day that was like, as soon as your puppy gets home, start training them. And I was like, no, as soon as your puppy starts, as soon as your puppy comes home, start bonding with them. You know, the training can wait. It, It is, you know, a gradual process, but, oh, I just wish people would, you know, slow down a little. I tell people all the time, like, I don't do a lot of training with the boys. I mean, hard to do any training with Nero at all anymore. Like, and we do some things like trick training, um, but we really just, we don't, there's no emphasis on that kind of stuff. It's my emphasis is on them as an individual, meeting their needs, seeing what works for, you know, our life. And if we need to swift, you know, switch things around or something, then we will, but it's not this regimented train, train, train attitude. We're pretty, we're pretty chill. <laughs> I say as like, like it's literally over my shoulder snoozing. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that like that, that leads perfectly to it. Like a dog that knows how to chill, but also knows when you want to get up and go and have fun. And Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And also can train or not train can be mentally stimulated by little things, but also can deal with the big, like that's ultimately what people are looking for. That's ultimately what you want in a dog. It's when we see so many of one and none of the other, and that balance starts to kind of fall off. Or, you know, for example, you have a super high energy dog. So you, you think that meeting its needs means five walks a day. And then all of a sudden those five walks, your dog injures its paw and now it can't walk at all. Well, how do we revert that behavior back? Right. And I think you said it exactly like a few minutes a day is, is perfect. You know, like you're not necessarily training constantly. And like you said, with bringing in a new puppy, um, we also have to understand that those animals are going through a lot, you know, like in the first Mm. couple weeks of being in a home, there's tons that are happening. Absolute tons. That dog was just taken from whatever it's known its entire life. And now it's in, in your home, right? And everything is new. You're new. The world around it is new. Everything it needs to do is new. Is that really the best time to start teaching it how to respond to certain things? You know what I mean? Like, nah, just get a good bond with that dog. Start hanging out. Start doing the things you want to do day to day or the cuddles on the couch that you want to have or whatever, like those are far more important in the long run and for like the relationship that you have. Yeah, absolutely. I think just swinging it back to us talking about, you know, in a summary, you don't have to walk your dog. You really don't have to, if that fits in with you know, the lifestyle that fits in with what you're seeing from your dog and your dog is happy, they feel fulfilled, you're providing those natural outlets. And for dogs, that's going to be sniffing. 
Um, you know, and the other thing I want to mention as well is the running. So like when we look at street dogs, we don't see a lot of running around frantically, but when we see pet dogs, we, or companion dogs, I should say, um, when we see companion dogs, that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this like chaotic release of energy. And I think, you know, we can dive into to that and, and talking about the differences between dogs and dogs as companion dogs and dogs as street dogs on a, on a later secret episode that'll be coming up soon. Um, but, <laughs> but I think it's also, that's not meeting your dog's needs. It's kind of, you know, you're going to a certain point and the dog is having that release, but that's not really what dogs do they have yeah of course they have little bursts of running but when I see a dog who's like crazy running around I'm thinking there's just something there's something off with that dynamic so that also I think plays into people wanting their dogs to be off leash all the time and it's like yes they should have the freedom to move their body but you can facilitate that in other ways so you know my dog doesn't necessarily need to have that time unless it's the only time that they have to freely move their body. Going on these kind of slower walks, allowing your dog to be able to sniff, you know, spending social time with your dogs. They don't have to have dog friends. So that's another, you know, thing that kind of pushes us to get out and put our dogs around other dogs. Believe it or not, dogs can have people friends. You know, they don't need to necessarily have dog friends. They can have a few people friends. But the most important relationship that a dog has is with you as their caregiver and support system. So you don't have to take your dog for a walk, but if that fits in well and your dog is happy and you are happy with that, great. You can meet your dog's needs if you don't have a giant yard and you know a huge house. You absolutely can physically and mentally stimulate your dogs in lots of ways within your own environment or close to home. And the most important thing to be able to do with your dog is figure out a way to meet their needs periodically throughout the day, wherever that fits in. Like I said, I start the day by doing that. And periodically through the day, I would say one, maybe two times, maybe it depends, I will have other things that I do with the dogs. Most of the time is us just like hanging out with the dogs, you know, massaging them, meeting the needs of like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Do you want to go outside and go potty? Um, it really is like any other member of the family. It's not all the dogs all the time, but it's also not the dog as an afterthought. Yeah, I completely agree. So really, yeah, like you said, to recap, you don't need to walk your dogs. It's not a need. <laughs> it's not a necessity. But if you like it, do it. If it's helpful, yeah, do it. Exactly. Yeah. When we're looking at ways that we can start to, um, you know, facilitate meeting our dog's physical and mental needs, I'm going to be doing a series on the Instagram and our socials generally, but I'm going to be doing a series on what that looks like. So to give ideas of what you can do to meet those mental and physical needs. Yes, I've already kind of covered that in, in some senses, but I think giving people tangible ideas of what that may look like will help to alleviate some of that pressure because, you know, it's, it's fine us saying like, you don't have to walk your dog, but then people coming up with 
well, what does that look like then? I don't really know what that looks like. So hopefully that will help you as well um, to be able to, if you aren't able to facilitate walks or they're not good for your dogs or they're not good for you, having some ideas of what you can do instead um, should help you to be able to relieve some of that pressure on yourself. Because I think that it also it also comes back to, I'm not meeting my dog's needs. How horrible am I as a dog guardian? You know, but if somebody comes along like us and says, hey, you don't have to necessarily do that. Here are some ways that you can do that. I think a lot of people would grab that and say, oh, thank God, I have some tangible things that I can I can utilize. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, guys. Well, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Dog Logical Podcast. We will see you next time. Bye. Thanks for hanging out with us on the Dog Logical Podcast. And if you appreciate the free content that we put out, like this podcast, leave us a review. After all, positive professionals love positive reinforcement. And if you're looking for an ethical, evidence-based dog professional to work with, we're virtual. Check out rplusdogs.com to see what services we offer. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.